thank you for the opportunity to work together and pray for an opportunity to talk to someone this coming week that um, might not understand at all what relationship with you is like. Amen. Okay, so this week we are, now a couple of you had asked for the syllabus, and um, I, I, I simply didn't get around to doing it. I'm sorry, but I think by next week I'll be able to do it. One of the main reasons I wasn't able to get around to it is because um, I, I wanted to wait for today's class, because today we're, we're, we pivoted a little bit last week, we're going to pivot even more. So we're we're now officially going to leave kind of all the classical apologetic stuff unless we run out of time and then I'll backfill with it. Um, but we're going to try to just focus on tactics and use this time together to just walk through the tactic and make sure that we're thoroughly exploring it together. Um, and if different concepts or ideas or classical arguments for the existence of God, et cetera, you know, et cetera, come up, well, fine, maybe we'll surf them when they come up. But, but we're going to try to focus on the, uh, the tactics. And then the time that David was taking at the end to kind of touch on the tactical takeaway for that week, um, he's just going to use that time to just share a little bit more of his, his own personal heart and experience because he's, he's quite the evangelist and um, I don't know if he just prays a lot harder than everybody else but um, he he gets more opportunities than the average bear and I, uh, I like to think I'm fairly outgoing but uh, still uh, I, think, I think David shines in this area so anyways he's going to just, just share personal testimony and maybe draw some out of you guys in terms of evangelism and apologetics and sharing and just you know real life on the field so um, that's where we're at that's what we're doing so 1 Peter 3.15 anybody want to read that for us? it's kind of our theme verse but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense for everyone who asks you to give an account of all that is in you, the Thank you, Mike. And I don't know how many uh, others feel this way, but I've told Mike before, he could read anything to me. And I would love it. It doesn't matter what he read. Just, I would eat it up, man. There's just, I love your voice, Mike. And, um, it's always a pleasure, especially when you, uh, you read scripture, man. Thank you, sir. All right, our quote. Uh, anybody want to take that one on? Christianity is a reasonable and rational worldview. In fact, listening with our deepest intuitions about reality when understood in its proper context. Amen. All right, so last week, um, we, we touched on it a little bit, but we didn't kind of spend the whole hour... Um, you know, unfolding it and exploring it, etc. But it was the uh, the reductio ad absurdum, which is a uh, you sound real fancy when you say that. But but um, Greg had a uh, another name for it, which was just taking the roof off, right? So what was the basic concept there on that tactic of taking the roof off? Say it again. Yeah, does, does the implications of that take you someplace crazy that they might not want to go, right? Because uh, I, I think I've said this before in here. If not, allow me to say it now. I think that is one of the reasons people don't like to talk about or they say it's not polite to talk about religion or politics. Because we can sometimes hold views in our own mind that if we don't put them out there to be explored out loud with others or be challenged or whatever else, it can make a lot of sense to us. 
And then you say it out loud and you're like, hmm, you know, doesn't sound quite as good as it did in my, my head. You know, some of those insecurities and doubts can, can start to, to creep in. And, and very often it's kind of taking the roof off. That's sort of what you're trying to address. Like, we, we will often build defenses or shelters or coverings, the roof if you will, um, for potentially absurd implications for views that we might hold. So what the taking the roof off does is, is it tries to remove that shelter, that covering, or whatever someone is hiding under um, to maintain a, a view that may be logically inconsistent or morally bankrupt or whatever it might be, but, but that's what you're aiming to do. So the technique is designed to show that some views prove too much, um, which was Candace's point. Mike, please. So, uh, an illustration of that is uh, about six weeks ago, uh, I was, Marcia and I was having dinner with her brother, and his daughter lives in Portland. She was raised in a Christian home and went to a Christian school. In Gotham City. But she's, but she's caught up in this woke ministry, and they can't hardly talk anymore. But we sat down at dinner, and I was unaware of where she was at. And so we were just... Oh, so what you just laid out, as you're sitting at the table, you're oblivious to this. I'm oblivious. Okay. And so I was just asking her what she'd been up to. And so she was telling about uh, the fact that I felt like um, we, don't, uh, we don't recognize some people like we should or like they should be recognized. He's talking about this world and they need to be uh, coddled a little bit, but also uh, compensated for whatever it is. Okay. And and so she said they've been they've been dealt a bad hand, and we have a responsibility to do something for them. And and you couldn't you couldn't share your opinions. Her opinion was the only opinion that mattered in this situation. Uh huh. And so. My comment to her was, do you think that for the last 4,000 years that we've had recorded history, that people have not tried to deal with this before, before you? Right. And again, it's taking, taking the roof off to let, let them peer in. This is not an easy solution, and you're not going to change things just by uh, causing riots in downtown Portland. Right. You know, Burning stuff down. Breaking windows or throwing bricks or whatever it is. And do you really think that you're the only person or your little group is the only person that's ever trying to deal with this? Yeah. And then you get them back and find out and, and explain that Christianity has done more for black people and for women and for all groups. Yeah, for civilization. Group. Yeah. And if you throw it out, you're throwing out the only power that we resource that we really have to affect change. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Um, I don't know, is, is anybody in here familiar with a guy by the name of Jordan Peterson? He's, he's been on a very interesting spiritual journey, and I don't know that I'd be willing to vouch for him a Christian or not. What he's going through is interesting. He's very open and transparent, and uh, he... Uh, 
He's a psychologist by trade. He kind of rose to, to prominence or recognition because uh, he was in Canada and when they started mandating speech, he took a stand and you know that didn't go well. Uh, but you know, pressure makes diamonds, so he finds this platform and now everybody pays attention to him. Anyways, he, he's not hostile towards Christianity at all. In fact, he, uh, you know, I, I, I may be playing a little loose here, but some of what he does is he'll use the Bible to kind of show where psychology is at play. I know that sounds weird, but, but he doesn't mutilate the text, but he's not making biblical points. He's just using those types of stories to say, hey, here's where we see some of the things we know about psychology happening in, in the history of, of mankind. But, but through that exploration or that exercise, he's become increasingly fond of Jesus, and he'll say it scares him to death because he understands what those implications are. Anyways, whatever. I just don't want to come off as not giving that caveat and saying, hey, go check out this psychologist. But, but anyways, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a clear, critical thinker and, and you know, he's, he's worth you know peering out. Um, anyways, he, he has an approach to where he'll say, one, you know, the church is probably missing the boat with young people today in the sense that they want these big, large challenges that are much bigger than themselves. And that is exactly what the gospel attempts to do is address, you know, the depravity within mankind. It's a, it's a huge undertaking. Um, Anyways, so his thing is just personal responsibility. And, and he'll say to a young person like, oh, okay, so you want to end world hunger or you want to end racism or you want to... And he'll say, all right, well, when's the last time you finished a diet? You know? Or is your room clean? You know, and he'll start with these basic things to, to where discipline and self-control are, are so important and you don't even have enough self-control to clean your room and you want to tackle racism? You want to end racism. You can't even complete, a, you can't finish a diet. And, and, and you're going to end world hunger. Hmm. Alright, how about we start with just getting order in our immediate life with what's going on around us because what's going on around you is really just the outworking of whatever's going on in, in your mind. So he takes this idea of personal responsibility and I guess in a sense uh, takes the roof off, you know, and says, alright, well let's drive that to where it goes and, and let me show you all the evidence in your life that says you're not ready for that kind of challenge, right? But, but people don't, don't stop and, and, and think about that because it's, it's all about how they feel and they they feel like their cause is just and they're not wrong sometimes usually not always um, but there's so much more to it than that so step one is reduce the point of view to its basic argument assertion principle or premise so like Candace was saying you're basically just wanting to adopt their point of view okay let me look at the world the way you look at it but then once they've they've given you the keys to their car so to speak you want to test drive it you want to take that idea and drive it around in, in a few places like like Mike was doing with his was that your niece with his with his niece um, and and you're you're looking for just absurdities like ah this you know if, if you really take this to its natural conclusion you're you're not going to be a, a fan of this, this way of thinking. So step three is then invite the person to change their position. If you can show them that, that there's some unusual implications to their worldview, um, then, then maybe they'd be willing to, to change course or at least reconsider. So that's the tactic. Um, would it be accurate to say that the biggest caution about taking the roof off is using a red herring? So the most, it feels like when doing this, the thing you absolutely have to make sure is that you understand their premise and you are not saying so you're saying this and that falls right here 
I, it seems like the, almost the majority of the time should be spent showing them you care about what they in particular care about and what they believe, and then drive around with that rather than making assumptions. You know, I think we've, we've, we've talked a lot about asking questions and making sure you understand. But it feels like in this, it's really important because people can smell it right here. And then it says, well, you're, you're, you're twisting my words. And that's why your point seems to make sense. So it's really important to make sure. I mean, it says, you know, reduce their point of view to its basic argument. But really, really make sure it is their view that they agree with. Yeah, I don't. Um uh, yes, I agree with everything you're saying, absolutely. In fact, that is always, always true. Every time you're engaging someone, it needs to be sincere. This isn't, this isn't manipulation. This isn't, um, this is relationship. Go ahead, Candace. She just went for the jugular. I was trying to politely build up to my disagreement. And Candace was like, hold on, I got a stake right here. I'm going to run it through his heart. Go ahead, Candace. Yeah. Ultimately, like, if they have a flaw in their argument, like you're saying, they're going to hear it. Like, that's the Yeah. Where that, their bias and their feeling, whatever that's driving that piece is flawed. Because what, what I was, uh, hold on, don't lose it, Mike, and, and before you jump in, what I was, what I was going to ask is, because yes, I agree with you, it needs to be a sincere, you need to genuinely be interested in, interested in understanding their view, but I didn't quite catch where you were tying the red herring in. That part missed me. So basically... I mean, th this is very similar to red herring, where, where, or not red herring, I think it's the straw man. I'm sorry, I said red herring. Oh, straw man, okay. Straw man. All right. You don't want to say, this is what you believe in, that's stupid. Yeah, does anybody in here not know what the straw man is or a straw man argument? Don't know. Okay, just think of uh, think of something that easily is torn down. That's what the straw man is supposed to represent. So it's not uncommon in interaction with maybe skeptics or non-believers that they will accuse you of holding a position that you don't actually hold. So they'll they'll use semantics to kind of change the wording, and then they'll say, "Well, you know, everybody knows that Christians believe in this sky daddy and da da." You know, and then they'll they'll They'll, they'll start to tear down how there's no physical evidence for God or something like that. Like, that's a pretty weak example, but on the fly, that's the best I got. So, uh, that, that's the idea of a straw man, is, is discerning when someone is setting up a false premise and, and, and accusing you or suggesting that you adhere to it, and then they dismantle that and tear it down, and they're like, huh. And it's like, well, actually, that's not what Christians believe at all. You've mischaracterized the position. So that would be a straw man, and you want to you look out for that. I'm, I'm sorry, did you have more? Uh, no, so basically just make sure when you're taking the roof off, you're not doing that. 
doing a strong Yes, and, and I think what Candace was saying was giving the guiding principles or, or the, the the spirit of the principle to how to avoid the straw man because it's so easy to get wrapped up in semantics and that's why you want to try to boil their point down to its raw ingredient and then once you have the raw ingredients you know, well, I don't necessarily, I like garlic, I don't necessarily want it in everything I eat, right? So, you, you know, you have to be careful, like, they're like, I love garlic. You're like, well, if I put it in this, they're like, no, that's gross, I would never eat that. Hmm, you know, well, but that's, anyways, these, these illustrations aren't great, I'm making them up as I go, but I hope, hopefully I'm communicating something of the idea. Mike, you were going to say? Well, I have found in my, my own life that I, I cannot study everything and know everything adequately enough to to confront and to to be able to intelligently talk to somebody about where their view leads to. And I think that all we do by expressing that is we frustrate those who are here that are trying to learn. And what I have found that is if I inquire if I seek to understand where they're coming from, then the Spirit of God helps me bring the truth of God to the situation. Amen. And I think that it's important for us to, to inquire, to, to, yes. to understand. Genuinely. But then ask that God will help you bring truth to the situation to help them see uh, what we're talking about. The, the conclusions that they're drawing to are wrong. Amen. We have to understand where they're coming from. And we build rapport with them. Amen. Relationship. Creating the safe space. And I would throw a log on that fire that that the hardest part of of apologetics or or even evangelism is that balance especially apologetics, that balance between like praying like your life depends on it in that encounter, but then also adequately listening to what they're saying because you're really doing two things at the same time and you need both of them at the same time and it's it's possible but it, it's a conscious concerted effort and and um, anyway so so yes adopt the person's view try to try to get it boiled down to the most basic premise that they're willing to say yeah you're you're summarizing that right and by doing so you're stripping away the semantics and creating that common ground to, to Mike's point you 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 pray because so often you might think you know what should be said and that's just your flesh but you 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 know you're you're praying and the lord's like mm, i want you to take this conversation this direction um you know a week or two ago david touched on something very much in this vein to where he thought he should say X, but the Spirit was leading him to say Y. And he was obedient, and he said the other thing, and then that conversation just unfolded. And it's like, okay, well, he could have stuck with whatever his flesh was suggesting and missed the opportunity. So all of these are, are, are good things. So the, we said step three, invite the person to consider the unusual implications of their worldview and, uh, and the truth that follows from that reductio. So um, anyways, if you arrive uh, at an odd destination... Point it out and invite your audience to reconsider this route on their worldview map. And that was something that Greg did in the book was he kind of uh, compared worldviews to maps, you know, and different highways lead to different destinations. So anyhow, um, 
and then you know sometimes people are in the wrong city using you know using a I think he said um, you know if you're in New York City a map of Chicago is not going to help you much you know so anyways he he, he was using worldviews and maps as, as kind of an illustration that was pretty good alright so um, taking the roof off today we move on to uh, the steamroller and by by God's grace and uh, providence my wife is not here today to tell all of you guys how much of a steamroller I am like I was so convicted as I was reading through this I was like oh but I will say that that I in my own defense and maybe pride and arrogance I, I, I don't know how many read the chapter, but I would say I am definitely a benevolent steamroller. My intention is not ill. I am just so ADD. And like I'm like a gnat at a barbecue and like the ribs are good and the watermelon is good and the chips are good and I'm just bouncing around all of these things and like I don't mean to to do that to the conversation but oftentimes I I do so um, full disclosure and confession uh, I'm I'm oftentimes a um, a bit of a steamroller how yeah I, I can confess it um, what's that it, no, no, it doesn't work like that, but thank you. Um, however, it does, um, it, you know, it takes one to know one. And therefore, I'm uh, pretty discerning when I see it. And I'm also very comfortable when I encounter it. I'm like, oh, oh, you brought plenty of passion. That means... Um, I don't have to tap into mine, you know, so like I can use, I don't know if you remember those old, uh, who was it, Steven Seagal, those like, they weren't kung fu movies, but he had some form of martial arts where he would use somebody else's momentum to like, so they'd come at him all crazy and like he'd grab them by their pinky and flip them over, you know, like, you guys have never seen the Steven Seagal movies? No, it's Taekwondo. Is it? It's not Taekwondo. It is, you use their momentum. You don't produce momentum. Use their momentum. All right, maybe it is taekwondo. What is it? All right, whatever. Never mind. Bad, bad example. That reminds me of the time in Africa. I'm, I'm teaching and I'm trying to make some point, and you know, nobody. I'm working through a translator, and uh, I'm like, oh, I got the perfect illustration, and I say something about a cowboy. And like it is just flat silent in the room. Everybody's just looking at me, eyes blinking. And the translator comes over. He goes, ah, they don't know what a cowboy is. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Sorry. <laughs> We're not in Texas. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So sometimes there are aggressive responses to the gospel. So how much control do we have over how people respond to us? Zip. Zilch. Nada. Right. So character, right? We, early on when we started this course, we were talking about knowledge, wisdom, and character as being three essential components to, uh, to a good or effective ambassador. And, and we touched on how, you know, the gospel in and of itself is fairly e exclusive um, and therefore can be seen as offensive and, and our job is to not really add to that. So character is an attribute of a, of a good ambassador and it really comes into play if we encounter, you know, a, a hostile um, uh, audience or opponent or friend or, you know, whatever you want to. Hey, do I steamroll? Am I a steamroller? Uh, who asked you? Don't answer. <laughs> she just laughed at me. She didn't even. She didn't even answer. She just laughed. That's grace. Yeah, that was grace, wasn't it? Yeah, recognize it when you see it, Dustin. 
All right, so um, I, I wanted to I wanted to give a warning here as we as we talk about how other people respond to us. Is anybody familiar with the phrase ad hominem? Yeah, tell us what it is. Personal attack, right? It's exactly right. Uh, ad hominem is a Latin word that means against the man. And it's a logical fallacy and it involves personal attack. So instead of an argument being based on the, the failings of the, the, the logic or the, the reason, uh, you just attack the person. You know, calling somebody a name is, is a pretty easy example. You know, um, well, you're just a jerk. Um, you know, the, the boys will, yeah, you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're, and it's like, okay, but calling me a name is not the same thing as making an argument. So you've got some kind of feeling against me, and, and that's okay, but you know, the boys, when you're untangling them for, from a fight or whatever it is, and it's like, all right, what happened? And, you know, guys like, he was being a jerk. And it's like, uh, uh, okay, but tell me what you did. You know, like, I'm only interested in what you did. And then you tell me what you did, and we'll, we'll take them from there. But, but it's so easy to get wrapped up in our feelings and how the person is making us feel, and then, and then we direct that at them. Uh, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that maybe guy didn't actually do something wrong or vice versa. And somebody was just responding or defending themselves, and they didn't, they didn't like it. So there may be things that need to be thought through. So um, using an ad hominem fallacy, it's, it's a logical fallacy and it kind of pulls the, the person or the audience or, or you know the general public there, whoever's involved, off the real issue and kind of serves as a distraction. Not so much a red herring, but it but kind of. It, it, it pulls away from, from what really matters in the conversation or, or the dialogue. So uh, like we said, calling someone a name isn't the same thing as, as making an argument. Always point this out when it's being used against you. Don't get offended if they call you some name. Just say, okay, well that's fine. I understand how you feel about me, but what about what I said? Right? Um, and this is the problem with, with my wife and I. I, um, you know, I will say something that she probably agrees with and would admit that she agrees with it had I not said it that way. <laughs> All right? Um, so, uh, anyhow, um, I, you know, uh, she'll, sh she'll be like, no. I, what's that? I mean, you, can I just hang out with you all the time? I just want to always be in whatever room you're in. Um, all right, so um, there, there are a few, there's, there's more than this, but I just grabbed a few because I wanted us to have some examples to kind of explore this ad hominem thing. If you're not familiar with it, it's something to be aware of and, and attempt to develop the discernment to, to recognize it when you see it. But, but one form of it is just the abusive form. You know, attacking, say, a person's uh, uh, appearance or some physical attribute or characteristic that they, that they have, whether that, that be... You know, well, they're bald-headed. What could you know? You don't even have any hair. You know, like, if, if, let's just say I was a beautician, and I've spent so much time studying, I don't know, how to perfectly curl a woman's hair, right? And, like, I got this down to a science. And I try to share some of this with Allie, and she's like, you're bald. <laughs> and it's like, 
okay, but what about what I said? Like there's, you know, there's, there's some technique in here that might be beneficial to you on how you curl your hair. You curl your hair beautiful, babe. Um, anyways, it's, a, it's attacking the, the, the person, right? Not, not the argument, but, but it's just it's some sort of abuse for, for some kind of a appearance or a physical attribute or something along those. A, another might, go ahead, buddy. And when and sometimes when you're a steamroller, you don't even notice. <laughs> oh, you, you're a steamroller. God shows you. Yeah, uh, he came and he came and apologized, and I was like, brother, I don't even know what we're talking about right now. <laughs> he goes, well, I make fun of your hat. I'm like, all right, are we okay? <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> um, but but anyways, uh, circumstantial. So attacking a person's life circumstance. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I can think of a, a few times, maybe not a few, but I can think of times to where, um, you know, somebody has suggested to Allie that, well, of course that's how you'd see the world. You're, you're a homeschool mom. And it's like, well, well, wait a second. Just because I homeschool my children, does that mean that whatever I'm suggesting about the realities of, of God or His, His truth aren't so because I'm a stay-at-home mom like so so you know trying to take somebody's circumstances and say well your opinions or thoughts or arguments aren't valid because of X it, it's pulling if you can see it's it's pulling off of the thing at hand and putting it on something else this is this is ad hominem uh, another version of this is kind of poisoning the the well um, imposing a negative bias on someone before their ideas can even be introduced um, you know, I uh, I like uh, I, I I don't want to say I like I the whole world was talking about Top Gun Maverick, so I felt like I needed to to watch it, and I mentioned watching it to Allie, and she's like, I hate Tom Cruise, and I'm like, well, I'm not a huge fan either, but like apparently this is pretty good, and anyway, she kind of relented, and she's like, well, I loved Top Gun the first one, so maybe, right, but. But she could have just stuck with her issue with Tom Cruise, which it's like, all right, but that doesn't mean he didn't do a good job in this movie. But, but she was attempting to poison the well and say, well, because there's something wrong here, I shouldn't consider X over there. I said uh, the very same thing. What's that? I said the very same thing. Don't go to that movie by yourself. I hate Tom Cruise. I thought you liked, I thought you liked short guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. I'm teasing my friend. I'm sorry. It has nothing to do with height. Uh, he threw his wife out like garbage. Just oh, okay. Didn't, yeah. Um, Alright, so ad hominems. Be aware of them. If you want to spend a little time looking into them and digging deeper, there's, there's plenty more to explore. But it's a thing and don't let somebody get away with it. Right? And, and don't be offended when they do it. Just, just try to get the conversation back on track. Alright, so when you when you aren't engaging in ad hominem, and, and maybe there are good arguments on the table, how come sometimes people just flat out ignore them? Why do, why do people ignore good arguments? Yeah. No whispering, say out loud. Oh, just, they're inconvenient. 
other inconvenient. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> the worst feeling. I want this on my tombstone when I die. Also, you know, get a, a Bible verse in there somewhere too, but, but make room for this. The worst feeling in the world is that moment in an argument when you realize you're wrong right? Oh man, it's the worst. Like you just want to crawl under the table. Like I'm, I'm sorry for living. I'm sorry for speaking. Um, but so yeah, sometimes a good argument can be awfully inconvenient. Julie? So are you saying when you're arguing something or when someone is giving it? Yeah, if you're arguing something and somebody counters with a better argument that kind of, you know, um, discredits yours or undermines yours and it's like, mm, that's pretty black and white. You're right. I'm wrong. Man, that's the worst, you know, because you were just advocating. And of course, like Mike said, we're all, we're right. We're always right. I, I mean, how could it be? So yeah, good arguments could be inconvenient. I, I like that answer. <laughs> any, other, any other thoughts or suggestions? Complicated. Arguments can be complicated? Some, some good arguments could be too complicated. Mm -hmm. You don't have the time and space to really go into it, so you just kind of go... Another time, another moment, I'll go there, but now? Especially today, right? When, when there's so much video, so much TikTok, so many sound bites. Like somebody can throw out a, a, a 30 second objection to God, mm -hmm. that to unpack that and address it takes 30 minutes or more. And they want a 30 second answer to their 30 second challenge. And it's like, man, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, so, my son will One thing and you say one thing and you do that. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. And I said, Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. None of us walk in complete truth. Yeah. The difference is, is we know the truth and we know which way we should head. Amen. So I just dismissed his argument. Yeah, I'm a hypocrite. There's and I, I like to take the. No, no, that's good. I like to take the roof off of that when I say, yeah, you're right. Just like, but then ask the next question. Um, tell me, how many non-believers you know that aren't hypocrites? Like, I'm pretty sure that just people are hypocrites. And sometimes they place their faith in Christ and sometimes they haven't. But, but we're all hypocrites, you know. And that's, a, that's taking an idea that they're trying to uniquely impose and say, well, here, let's drive that idea around and see if that goes anywhere else that maybe isn't as, as strong or as, as solid. So, what's that? Church, feel right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, abusive, circumstantial, and poisoning the well, some ad hominems. We, uh, oh, uh, why do people ignore good arguments? So I've got a few others here, uh, and, and these are some that uh, Greg laid out in the book, but... All right, I'm a believer. I love Jesus. Can anybody else relate to this feeling? Have you ever been around a Christian that was just a little annoying? And it's not like you don't understand what they're doing and you agree with them and you, you, you more or less are amening whatever they have to say, but it's like, I don't know that you need to say it that often or that you need to point out that person's sin that frequently or, you know, whatever it is. Like, there, there's probably a little bit of a balance or attention here that we should keep in terms of wisdom and character. Um, so, a lot of people have, have had experiences with annoying Christians, you know, and I think it's okay to, to acknowledge that. Um, uh, same thing, you know, people are people and people are hypocritical, people are annoying and sometimes they wear a Christian jersey, you know, but okay. Um, 
other people have been, you know, they've they've had bad experiences in in church, and and they've had uh, you know abusive relationships with either individuals within the church or with the church leadership itself. But it's really turned them off because maybe the only experience with Christianity they've had is that. So now that is the entirety of what they understand Christians to be like or Christianity to to be about. So um, you know that that may be a reason that that someone isn't open to considering. Uh, certain arguments about God or faith from from a Christian. They're like, I don't trust you guys. I, I had a bad experience. Um, you know, this one I, I thought uh, was 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 pretty profound. Um, the realization that if they adopt this kind of worldview or this this system of belief, um, that there are are loved ones they were planning on seeing again in heaven in their shallow understanding of how a relationship with, with Christ works uh, or, or how God you know, uh, relates to, to his creation. Um, but if they, if they accept this as true, they know Uncle Bugs was not, you know, actually Uncle Bugs is my uncle. He was a crazy guy. You look at his life and you're like, there's no way that dude was a Christian. Sold out for Jesus. It's a long story, right? But, but, but anyways, maybe, maybe some other person wasn't sold out for Jesus. They weren't a great person. Uh, you knew it. You loved them because they were family. You were, you were just assuming the best uh, in, in eternity somewhere. But now you, you, you come face to face with that reality. They might be in hell. You know, and and wow, that's hard to swallow. Uh, so, so realization that deceased loved ones entered eternity without forgiveness—that that could be a reason that people reject a, a good argument or, or a rational response or position. Go ahead, David. Yeah, I've come up with against that uh, a few times, and um, said, "Well, you don't know for sure that at the last minute that they accepted." Mm -hmm. on yeah, there's always hope in Christ. That, um, either, uh, so if they did, and you don't, you won't see them in eternity. And since we don't know about them, let's not talk about them. Let's talk about you, because you do have the choice and the opportunity to um, be right uh, with God. And then when you get to heaven... And you see, Uncle Buzz, you'll be glad. Yeah, I, that's good. I thought you were going to take it somewhere else. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to take what I thought you were going to do, and I'm going to say it. Has anybody heard of Pascal's Wager? Blaise Pascal is actually who Blaise is named after. He's a French philosopher, apologist, whatever. Pascal's Wager is essentially if you don't know if there's a God or not, you might as well bet that there is, because you don't have anything to lose and you got everything to gain. But if there's not a God. And 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 um, and you assume there is well whatever you're going to meet the same fate that you otherwise would have but if there is one and you assume there's not well, that could cost you dearly so Pascal's wager is if you don't know just go ahead and bet that there is right there's a lot more on the table so what I thought you were going to say is is um, if you are and and they weren't then you won't see them but but if they did accept say on a deathbed confession or something like that if they did and you don't. 
you still won't see him. And I just I, I saw like an element of Pascal's wager in there. I thought that was I thought that was good. All right. So, anyways, rejection. That's this is something else. Especially if you're talking to somebody that maybe comes from an Islamic background or or maybe even Mormonism. I, I would say within Islam, the the stakes could be higher. I mean, you know, placing your faith in Christ could theoretically. I mean, not theoretically. I mean, you can read the stories. I mean, cost somebody their life. Like, they, your family will kill you. Like, it's, um, the stakes are, are that high. But, but, you know, bringing it down a few notches, you know, people could lose family relationships or standing. Uh, they could lose friendships or social status. They could lose a job or, or suffer financial loss. I mean, especially now with the cancel culture and everything else. Um, so, so self-preservation. Um, sometimes keep people from from considering good arguments um, prejudice is is a is something that that gets touched on in the book um, their, their minds are already made up you know like I'm I'm kind of guilty of this you know like I'm open to the dialogue and I'm what I hold as the thing is truth I just I want the truth and if I don't have it, I want somebody to point that out to me. But I, I've spent enough time thinking about it and arguing with myself and, 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 and reasoning and trying to find the, the holes and the logic and so on and so forth that, man, I'm pretty darn convinced. Right? So I'm open to the conversation, but if you're trying to get me to like accept this idea that there's not a God, I will listen to your arguments and I will, ex I will consider the possibility that there might not be a God, but I assure you, you will need to pack a lunch. This is not going to be a quick conversation, right? So, so I, I come to the table with certain prejudices that I have to consciously remind myself you know, don't, don't just, like we were saying early on, be genuine, be authentic. Like, I'm interested in understanding what this person believes and why they believe it. And maybe they have good reasons and I need to consider them. But oftentimes when you consider them and you take the roof off, you're like, yeah, no, I just can't go there with you. Um, uh, especially, you know, taking it out of an apologetics arena and, and putting it in maybe a, a, a polemics arena. Uh, polemics is, is kind of, apologetics is maybe defending the faith to the outside world. Polemics is more uh, correcting error or heresy within the church. You know, maybe somebody's doctrine isn't quite right. Um, so, so, you know, trying to, that, that's polemics. Is it's more within the church and, and sorting out things maybe amongst different denominations etc. But uh, you don't even in those conversations you don't want to run headlong in, and, and only be interested in defending your position. Like I um, you know I am a <clears throat> I don't I, you know you get weird with this mic on I don't I guess it doesn't matter. I'm a staunch Calvinist. Right? Um, I, I might be wrong about that but but I've studied, and that's where my convictions land, and I can't help it. Just as I study and interpret the text, that's where my convictions take me. However, I have many Arminian friends. And I tell you what, they have some arguments and some reasons for believing the things they do, and they're compelling. And, and I can understand why maybe they've landed where they have, and it's just that's where their convictions rest. So as, as long as somebody is, is truly searching, searching for, for biblical doctrine, and they're being true to the convictions that the Holy Spirit's putting on their heart, man, if they love Jesus, what do I care? Like, really, we're going to divide over this thing, and there's so much that we uh, uh, agree on? So, so just be, be careful, because we Christians can be guilty of this just 
defending our own denomination or some of the own uh, some of the doctrines that we hold. The last one that I've got here is stubbornness. Um, I, I, I buy it. I just mean uh, just a hard heart, just a uh, just a simple rebellion against God, just not interested, choosing the darkness over the light. John three nineteen, and this is the judgment: the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Go ahead, Mike. So I think that the issue is is that a lot of people uh, determine their morality that if they what they want to do, and then they determine their theology as a result of that. Yeah. And uh, so if you want to live a worldly type life, you really can't believe in God because God says you're going to be accountable for right. those things that you're doing. That's right. And so because they don't want to be accountable uh-huh. through God. Quite frankly, no amount of rationality is going to deal with that issue because they've already determined right. they don't want to believe in God because then they would have to change their lifestyle. Yeah. But well, not everybody's in that category. You no. Know, um, a lot of politicians are, though, right? I mean, by job, by, by definition, their job is to compromise and make deals. And they are the most stubborn people. They won't hear out any other arguments. Their minds are made up. Here's what we're going to do. Um, and, and it extends beyond politicians, but that just, that just came, it came to mind. Um, uh, anyways, yeah, there's a... Um, uh, there's just a persistent rejection of of, of God there, and, um, and 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 you know I think to to Mike's point I, we touched on this a week or two ago, but but one of the biggest mistakes that I think people make is they bring their whatever their sense of oughtness and they attempt to impose it on the Bible, and, and the Bible should read this way. God should be like this because well that's how I feel. Well let me tell you something. God doesn't care how you feel. Right? And he is the way he is, and you ought to spend your time getting in tune with that. So we should let the Bible shape and form us. We don't try to bring ourselves to the Bible and, and shape and form it. But, but that's, just a, that's just a persistent, hard-headedness, you know, stubborn rebellion against God, and it doesn't lead anywhere nice. So, but we are ambassadors for Christ. Right? So... But as ambassadors, we, we, as we were saying, we've got limited control over how people respond to us or, or to the gospel message that we're attempting to bring. So what I, what I really want you to get out of this section is just don't be discouraged when a good argument made in love doesn't immediately persuade a, a, a non-believer to just kind of drop their worldview right there in the spot and follow you wherever you want to go. Um, this, this took me a long time to accept um, not just understand, but like actually accept it. Because when you lovingly fold somebody up like a wallet, you know, and you're like, yeah, that just, that doesn't make any sense. And here's, now this isn't how the conversation goes, but I'm just saying when, when you're able to succinctly show maybe some of the errors and, and holes and, and blind spots in, in that particular worldview or that particular position or conviction or argument, um, he, well, it just seems obvious that you're wrong, right? So just, just let it go and come, come with me to the promised land, literally, right? Um, no, man, people's pride and ego is on the line, and, and human nature just doesn't work that way. So, you know, I, I don't know if he says it in this book anywhere, but, but Kukul is, is known for saying, just be a rock in their shoe, right? Just, 
you know, give them, give them a challenge. Give them something to think about. Give them a bone to chew on. Like, challenge the worldview, but, but then back off and give them some time and some space. And if it's a, if it's a working relationship and you know you'll see them again, etc., um, look for those opportunities for that to circle back around and see how much ground they've, they've covered by the time you, you talk about it again. Maybe they have considered some of those implications and now they have a new set of questions and you want to help them explore this a little more. But no matter what, remember apologetics doesn't save anybody. That's not what this is about. It's about removing intellectual stumbling blocks that may be keeping people from further considering the faith. But, but placing your faith in Christ that is a unilateral work from the Holy Spirit he gives us a new heart that has the capable, the capability of, of loving him. Arguments don't do that, right? But, but still, it doesn't mean that we never see anybody using arguments in the Bible. We see it quite a bit. Um, so, so this is an approach, um, and and don't, you know, don't feel like you should say nothing just because the argument's not going to to save them. You know, God works through the agency of man. And he may be using you to meet them wherever they are on their journey at that moment. Go ahead, Julie. I was thinking of the verse that says, God's word never returns void. Mm -hmm. That's the stone in the shoe. I mean, I've said this to my stepkids that, that um, I'm just speaking truth, just kindly speaking truth, knowing that they were not receptive. And then years later, we'll hear it back from them. Yeah. Say the exact same thing Amen. that I've said. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I can't wait for my boys to start telling me kind of stories because I can remember things that mom or dad said, and I'm like, you can't possibly be that much of an idiot. Yeah. All right, but you just, you just like, uh-huh, yeah, dad. And then later, somewhere down life, you're like, oh, <laughs> that's what that dude was on. Like, he was so right. But... But it didn't, you know, I didn't adopt his view right then and there. So when someone forcefully disagrees with you, don't expect them to surrender quickly. In fact, typically the more hostile they are, the longer it's going to take. That's just a, a general rule of thumb. So changing beliefs is not easy to do, especially when there could be more at stake than, than we're able to discern on the surface. Kind of like what we were talking about with, with some of these other, you know, whether it's emotional or whether it's uh, some form of rejection or prejudice or, you know, there's a lot of things that we can't see that might be running in the background there and you just you want to always be conscious of that um, uh, be sensitive to those possibilities and, uh, and and more you know things that maybe we didn't touch here today when, when you're sharing your faith just just always be open so all right now we'll get into the to the steps and we'll, we'll work through this pretty quick but but how do we deal with a steamroller well what is steamrolling it's 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 somebody that you encounter that tries to overpower you and it's not always with facts or arguments but but sometimes it's just the sheer force of their personality, or maybe they're just they're wittier, they're quicker on their feet, they, you know, whatever whatever it could be. But but that's what steamrolling is 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 just 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 rolling over them with the force of whatever it might be. It could be the argument, excuse me. It could be the personality. Um, but their objections can come in quick quick form, back-to-back, -back, immediate succession, and it, it doesn't leave you a lot of room to gather your thoughts. And when that's happening, you're starting to lose your place in the driver's seat of this dialogue and this conversation, right? And, and that's kind of what tactics is all about, is staying in the driver's seat and, and effectively witnessing for, for Christ and, and being a good ambassador. So, what, what, what are some of the defining characteristics of a steamroller, assuming you've all encountered them at some point? Or maybe, uh, maybe you are also one and you didn't want to admit it to the rest of the group. 
James, were you going to say something? No, I'm just back as you're looking at me. Maybe some of you are, some are one. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. They uh, won't let you get a word in advice. Uh-huh. They'll overtalk you. Yeah. I'm so guilty of this when it comes to arguments with my wife. I, I For whatever reason, if I ask a question and she goes to answer it, I'm doing the soundbite thing, right? Like, I've got a quick, here's my quick question. Well, her answer may be five minutes long. But if, like, the first five words out of her mouth aren't in the vein of what I think they should be, I'm immediately like, no, 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 here's what I asked you. And she's like, I'm, if you'll shut up, I'm trying to answer the question, right? I got to give that thing room to breathe. And, and, I, and I, I so often will, will, will steamroll. I, I, you know, I won't, she's trying to get a word in edgewise, but because I, since I have decided those aren't the right words, you know, I'm, I'm cutting them off again. Go ahead, Mike. So as I run into these people in the context of sharing Christ, yeah. what they will do is they'll start raising objections. Yes. Well, I don't believe in a God like that. And if he was, I don't believe in hell. Right. And if, if that's not enough, then I don't believe that we are going to exist for eternity. And, and, and not to cut you off, but as, as we've learned, we can't even address one of those in an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> so what are you supposed to do with these casual encounters when they... But you've got to stay in the driver's seat. So they constantly interrupt. You begin to answer, they throw up another objection. Now, some steamrollers, I was saying this early on, you know, I was, I was trying to, to, you know, defend myself. Some steamrollers are more distracted than they are discourteous. Like, I just can't keep all my thoughts together and on a track. So I bounce around and, you know, I'm all kinds of crazy with, with my thoughts and, and I'm not kind of moving in a linear fashion. And, and to Mike's point, there's so much and you're wanting to touch on all these things. But they'll do it to us and, and sometimes we can even do it to... To, to other people. but So benevolent steamrollers do exist, but usually a steamroller is not sincere in their approach. Y'all got to share. What are you laughing at back there? You're pictures. She was trying to draw some people. How'd she do? Did she do good? There's a dry erase board back there. There's a dry erase board. Draw it for all of us. I just your face on top of the tank. It's flat. Stretched out like those pennies that they'll... Um, all right, so the very first step is simply to stop them, right? So one of our objectives as an ambassador for Christ is to have a winsome character. Thus, our first step in dealing with a steamroller is a mild one. You know, if, if they're intentionally being a jerk and it's kind of obvious or easy to, to see or they're becoming increasingly hostile, um, you know, don't, don't, don't fold, um, but, but just, just, just stop them. So your, your first move is to just... Ask and just say, "Hey, can, hold on," you know, and, and maybe you even want to use some some body language. You know, is it it's okay to to stop them? You know, um, um, Julie just did kind of did the timeout thing, like just family thing. Just call timeout. Go ahead, Alan. I mean, yes, I have learned that if I can get your attention and point it out, like now you interrupted me, everything that you said you know, just to point out, because I do think you don't realize. When you I'm a benevolent steamroller. <laughs> <laughs> very, very benevolent. So, you're pointing it out to the person. Mm -hmm. you know, hey, you've interrupted me the past three times. I've tried to say this. Would you give me a minute to explain my side? Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, you don't want to respond. If they're being hostile, you certainly don't want to respond in kind. 
okay? Because that's if if that's just going to escalate. Like don't you know? Don't turn the temperature up. But again, don't fold either. Uh, William Dembski, who actually um, he's he's one of the leading intelligent design apologists, and uh, my. He was actually my entry point into apologetics. Somebody had uh, got a hold of me when I was young, right out of school, asked me a couple of questions about evolution. I had just finished a bioanthropology class. I thought I knew something. And, um, and they folded me up like a wallet and uh, left all my credit cards and everything that was in the wallet kind of sprinkled out on the table. And they were just like, huh. And I was like, I have no idea what just happened, but I definitely was put in my place. And, and that same person circles back later and invites me to a debate. And I go and I hear this guy, uh, William Dembski, debate with a, with a leading atheist. And I remember just sitting there feeling like I had my finger in an electric socket. Like, I, you know, I, I just couldn't believe. It's like, oh my gosh, there's this many reasons for the faith and why we believe this stuff? And um, anyhow, but his, his quote is, once your opponent has intimidated you and knows it, you've lost. Right? So don't, don't fold, but don't rise to the occasion either. So your first move is simple request for courtesy. Stop the intrusion, momentarily you know, putting a pause to, to the discussion, and then, and then just briefly ask for permission. Like Ali was saying, is, is, it, is it okay if? And, and Greg had a, a few examples in here. Sorry, I'm not quite finished yet. You can say, hold on. Go ahead, Candace. Well, I, I disagreed or disagreed with him. Okay. Um, what should you do? Should you be rude right out of the gate? agree I'm still gonna I, I very much know and understand um, I'm still gonna suggest we don't start there yeah, and, and in this, like I said, in the situation where he's dealing with people that you're just brief contact no but depending on who it is I mean and, and a lot of times I think what we can ask ourselves is just the old yellow bracelet you know what would Jesus do and and would would Jesus respond in kind right out of the gate like that I <laughs> Now, don't get me wrong, Candace. My favorite Jesus is the one that flips over tables and cracks whips. That's my Jesus. But, but still, we don't, we don't start there. Um, but I totally understand what you're saying. So maybe, uh, maybe a, an intermediate step of, hey, uh, you know, I'm sorry I'm not quite finished yet. Or uh, let me respond to that challenge. And when I'm done, then, you know, you can jump in. Is, is that okay? Or, or you know, you, you ask it another way and you say, will that work? But, but the thing that I want you to notice is there's, a, there's an attempt to negotiate. 
negotiate there. You're, you're negotiating, and, and you have to get them to verbally consent to, to okay, no, no, you're right, I need, I need to let you talk, because then you can hold them to account, you know, and say, hey, well, you said, and now you're, you're not, so just recognize that that first step is attempting to negotiate the dynamic of, of this conversation. We do not want to come off as antagonistic, um, and, and being defensive or belligerent will always look weak. Go ahead. Uh, there's a passage in John that deals with this specific issue in John chapter 8. Go ahead. And it's Jesus and the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. And in 836 it says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, that is, they were Jews, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do not do what you have not heard from your father. Uh, excuse me. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And so this is the confrontation here. Yep. He says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. There's the, the, uh, uh, the first one. Well, he is steamrolling, but it's... Uh, uh, the straw man? Yeah. yeah. Oh, shame. Yeah. So uh, he, it's confrontation, putting him down. He says, oh, "I'm not born of sexual immorality, and we have one Father, even God." And Jesus said to them, "If God were your Father, you would love me, for I come from the Father, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent." And so he's he's confronted. Right. And he's straightforward. He challenges the right. concept. I'm good enough if I'm Abraham's son. Right. And he's challenging their thinking there. And he's redirecting them, helping them see right. that spiritually speaking, there's more to it. There's more going on here. Physically born. Amen. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so one of the uh, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm going to try to do, I'm sorry, um, I'm, I'm going to try to just sh shorten this up real tight here. So one tip I had, I had several tips here, but one tip I had for step one is, is if they consent and they agree to the negotiation and it's like, okay, I'll talk, you can talk, etc. Um, what you don't want to do is when it's your turn to talk, don't hog the mic. Like, make your point, give the mic back, make sure it's a true, you know, back and forth that you're actually both in, in sharing your ideas, you're engaging one another. So don't get permission to talk and then never give the mic back. That's not a good look, look either. All right, but step two, which is really just kind of a reiteration of step one, but it's getting us closer to where Candace likes to start with her dad, um, is, is you, you might want to, and we're not all the way there, you, you, you're at step three. I'm not saying what you're doing was wrong, I was just, maybe not step one, that's all. Maybe not step one. That's it. Um, but but if 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 the person you're talking to has consented verbally, and 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 you can point back to that, and then they break that trust, now it's maybe okay to to step it up and and shame them as 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 politely and lovingly as possible. But that's step two is to to shame them. So 
you move on to this step when, when one of two things has happened. Either you've not been able to negotiate the trust of agreement, but you, you were good enough spirited to kind of stay in the ring, or you've negotiated that agreement, but they're refusing to honor it, right? But, but at some point, you may have to make a decision to kind of ratchet this up. Um, so the, the second step, you're, you're essentially ignoring any new challenges. You're not going to chase any more rabbits down different rabbit trails or holes. Uh, you know, uh, in my mind, I always think about um, uh, skeet shooting. That's sometimes what I feel like when I'm dealing with a skeptic. They're just like, shoo, shoo, shoo. And early on, my dumb butt, I would be like, oh, and then they throw another one. You know, you're shooting them all down. It's like, wait a second, you got like 10 skeet in the air right now. I'm not, I'm not shooting all of those. I'm not even feeling compelled to even attempt to answer all of those. Uh, you had one question that this thing started with and let's get back to, to that. But, but anyways, ignore the new challenges is, is my point there and, and address the problem of how they're treating you d directly. So there are a couple of examples that he has in here is, um, you know, can I ask you a quick question? Do you really want a response from me? Right? Uh, at first I thought you did, but when you continue to interrupt, I get the impression all you want is an audience. If so, fine, just let me know and I'll listen. Like I wish my wife would approach me this way when you know, like when she's when she's coming to talk, it's like is this something you want to know how I feel? You were looking for advice or am I just supposed to listen? I'm fine either way, but I need you to tell me, babe, this is just a shut up and listen moment. Okay, baby, go. I'm gonna pop some popcorn, go. But but you know, as a man, you kind of think well, if there's not a problem that needs fixed, why are we talking about this? <laughs> right? So, it, it, anyways, <laughs> I get the impression all you want is an audience. If so, just let me know and I'll listen. But if you want an answer, you'll have to give me a second to, to respond. So, so, do you want me to respond or do you want me to just listen? I need to know before we can continue, right? And that's kind of getting it on the table. Like, look, we're pressing up on the edge here. We're starting to color outside of the boundaries. Uh, you're, you're politely telling them they're, 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 they're depleting your patience and your grace. But, but still, you're, you're, you're just saying, hold on, hold on. Um, there's, there's more examples. They're, they're in the book. Um, one of the tips for step two to kind of take the edge off when you're sort of ratcheting it up is to use their name. You know, the sweetest thing that anybody can hear is their name. So just, you know, Dale, hey, you know, that kind of centers them, that gets their attention. And they're like, oh, okay, you're, you're talking to me, you're using my name. I there, there's another thing that you can use that, that deaf people use when they want your attention, Dustin. Oh, this. That's really hard, Dustin. That's really Oh, that's good. That's good. If everybody caught that, you know, in addition to using their name, you know, back to those gentle kind of, of, uh, of uh, hand motions and, and body language, but, but that's a good one. Get into the focus like, look, I'm, I am talking to you right now. I need us to communicate. I don't think we're effectively communicating, and I need to bring that to your attention. So using their name, you know, maybe some kind of gesture like that. Uh, but step three is just leave them. Just leave them. And, and I, got, I got three verses here. I, I just want to hit them real quick. Um, uh, step one, stop them. Step two, shame them. And I didn't put that in my notes. Good thing I remembered what it was. <laughs> uh, shame them. All right, and then step three, when all else fails, leave them. And it's, it's okay to, to respectfully bow out of an interaction or an engagement, especially if it's hostile. Um, 
you know, Matthew 7, 6, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. John 19, 9. He entered his headquarters, and again Jesus said, or, and again said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Matthew 21, 27. I, I was planning to expand on the context on some of these, but uh, Matthew 21, 27. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So it, it's okay to just say, yeah, I'm not doing this with you. You know, it, it, may, it may get to that point. Wisdom dictates not wasting time on a person who has no interest in, in hearing you out. Um, so a, a tip for step three. Um, if you choose to bow out, Give them the last word. Let them finish. Let them make their point. Thank them for sharing their thoughts. You know, God bless them. Tell them Jesus loves them. You're praying for them. Whatever you want. Don't be condescending. Don't be antagonistic. You know, be sincere. But but let them have the last word and then just kind of end it and, and be on your way. So, in summary, there are multiple reasons why someone might reject your argument, no matter how thoughtful it might be, and therefore never even consider your message. And never match a, a steamroller's incivility with rudeness or contempt unless it's your dad and you absolutely know this is the only thing. And it's a safe space and it'll be okay and I'm not going to hurt his feelings. But... <laughs> I want to get our families together and just see what happens. See if we can have some kind of like, you know, family Olympics or something. Thank you, sir. Uh, Candice, if you could turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, please. And I'll tell you when. Um, <clears throat> thank you. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I like that. I, uh, unfortunately, I've used uh, sign language before. They didn't always go over well. But, um, <laughs> right, so anyway, you either got that or you didn't. So, um, <clears throat> if you, uh, I was going to mention a few things, but I uh, wanted to uh, specifically on this point. If you would read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Could you speak up a little bit, please? Like you were talking to your dad. <laughs> and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, uh, sometimes when we, well, it says basically all unbelievers have had their eyes uh, closed, uh, like a blindfold. Uh, the deception and the lies that the God of this world puts out, because He was a liar from the beginning. So sometimes, and the the thing that triggered me for this was uh, the word that Greg used, uh, rebellion. Yeah, I think because people have chosen a lifestyle. Uh, they can't admit them for a god because <laughs> then they're buggered. Uh, so, um, but for some, it's uh, this uh, that blinding has gone a step further, <clears throat> and so we've got a a person who's demonized. Everybody in this room gets demonized probably every day, because biblically, uh, and uh, some about three years ago, 
Um, Pastor Bob had us read uh, books on the demonic because uh, he was going is going to go through Ephesians uh, again to get to chapter six. Having been to India and come face to face, eyeball to eyeball with the demonic, uh, it gave him new new eyes to see what goes on in in the world. Uh, because of science, uh, we don't see it uh, the same over here, but it's prevalent. I've dealt with a number of demonic people. The, so the Bible says, doesn't say demon possession, it just says demonized, which is from this to this. Here's what we typically have, have said uh, possession. This is, you're driving along and... Um, maybe not thinking about anything in particular and suddenly uh, here comes you know you're a pretty bad Christian aren't you where do you think that came from that is being I would say that's being demonized that's the entry level now do you uh, let that rummage around uh, we're supposed to reject those kind of thoughts and uh, all, it's almost like it came out of the clear blue sky or out of the rainy clouds for us. Uh, that's being demonized. That, that's entry level. And that people, uh, because of uh, not rejecting it, uh, give uh, what would be called uh, grounds for the intrusion into their lives on a regular basis. Um, so sometimes when you're dealing with a person, they're demonized. So um, learning how to pray uh, spiritual warfare praying, uh, very important. So um, I was talking, uh, usually uh, if I know I'm going to be speaking with somebody that I may have questions about, I pray spiritual warfare pray before walking into that uh, conversation. Uh, with them. Uh, there was one time uh, talking with somebody, just a look in their eyes. And uh, it was. Uh, and I would say I uh, got permission. And uh, there's just the two of us talking. Uh, it's got a little more heated by then. Um, and I've realized, uh, and I looked him straight in the eyes and said, Demon, listen to me now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to listen to what I say. I'm putting you under his uh, command. And that victory that he won at the cross over death, sin, and the grave, and you, you are going to listen. Everything changed. So, <clears throat> knowing uh, sometimes when you're going to go into a conversation with somebody, it may be uh, after the fact. And the Holy Spirit lets you know what you were dealing with with that person. That you can pray afterwards. We're in a, um, a kind of a men's discipleship Bible study uh, years ago. And um, we'd become aware of the demonic and we had, we'd uh, dealt with a couple of people that were demonized to the possession side of things. And um, so being aware of it, this... Uh, person in the group uh, said, you know, my uh, brother in uh, 
is in prison in uh, in Texas, and um, and I, I wonder if you know he was raised uh, in a Christian family and went to church and and then suddenly just got really bad and kind of evil, and so I said, well, let's let's pray for him, spiritual warfare praying, pray, basically what I pretty much what I just said. Uh, two hours later, does distance make a difference in the spiritual world? Uh, remember, uh, the, was it the uh, centurion had come to Jesus and Jesus was going to go and the, the, <laughs> the centurion said, hey, I've got people under my command and, and stuff. If I say something, they do it. All you have to do is say it. And Jesus said, I've never seen such faith in Israel. So he said it and the servant got healed. Distance. Go ahead. You got sign in? Yes. You did so much. So uh, distance makes no difference, 2,000 miles to uh, Texas. And so we'd prayed. Two hours later, I get a call from the guy and he said, David, I just got a call from my, from my brother. He's been set free. The, the guy suddenly, um, because of the prayer, the removal, asking the Lord to remove, in the victory that was won at the cross for him, um, God applied. And, and he realized uh, the difference. It, so, um, the reason I'm bringing this up, there are people we talk to, we might not have any idea what, what kind of demonic stuff is going on. We were at uh, a restaurant uh, years ago, and uh, we're getting ready to uh, leave, and I see a couple over another to pray for that uh, before the food arrived. And uh, so, as we're leaving, we're walking by their table, and I said, uh, "Hey, uh, th I noticed you uh, prayed before. Th thanks for praying." And he said, "Oh, yeah, we take uh, every opportunity we can to pray against all pastors and churches. We go to the Church of Satan." Did they look satanic? No, look like I was going to say like you and me, but like you. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but uh, you have no idea, and um, just becoming more and more aware over the years, having had some encounters, like Pastor Bob going to uh, India, and wow, uh, there's just. No getting over it. You can't account for it any other way. And um, that's made me realize at times when I'm talking to somebody, there's a definite spiritual battle I'm dealing with right here. And, uh, and sometimes when they're talking, it's amazing. Um, I, I've always uh, said about... Uh, Guys can't do two things at once. Women can, they do it all the time, but us guys, uh, we can't. But when it comes to talking to somebody and I'm realizing this is a spiritual battle taking place here, it's not just him and me, um, I'll pray uh, spiritual warfare praying because not knowing whether um, they're quote-unquote possessed, what level of the demonic I'm dealing with, then... Uh, I'll pray, and it's amazing the changes that happen right before your eyes. So, um, rebellion, yeah, 
we've, we've got people, it's not just on a physical level at all. Ultimately, it's always on the spiritual level, right? Always. Um, it's a, ultimately, it is a spiritual issue. That, uh, given the presentation and reasons uh, to believe, can be the thing that, uh, that God uses to start removing that blindfold, that deception, those lies that have been put there uh, to start breaking through and that prevenient grace now that moves you to uh, saving grace. Uh, this morning, um, uh, Ryan mentioned about door-to-door uh, -door, uh, encyclopedia salesperson. I felt like putting my hand up, yeah, been there, I did that. And, um, and that's one of the things that God used in, in the prevenient grace to uh, draw me to himself. So, um, praise the Lord for... See, now, now you don't have to worry about encyclopedia salesmen coming to your door, do you? You just pick up your phone and you've got the encyclopedia right there. So. Um, that's basically, uh, since it's 12.20, uh, wanted to uh, honour our time that we had said. So, any questions? Uh, I'll get a, uh, again, if you didn't sign in, please do, and I will get, um, uh, well, let me ask before I just commit, mm -hmm. as though the word processor can't change it again. But... Is, is this format today, after five, six weeks, or however long we've been fumbling around in the dark and playing with different approaches and formats, and if I just drop the other book, focus entirely on tactics, was this fruitful? All right, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna modify our syllabus for the, what we'll do over the remaining weeks, because it'll be different from what we had originally targeted. Um, and I'll, I'll email that out to everyone. And, uh, help me understand the tension you're feeling between classical apologetics and tactics. Two different things. Yeah. And I'm I'm simply not good enough to blend them. Um, and I don't I, you know I don't know maybe leadership decides that we have two classes. Um, but but I think that it's, you know doing this is. Um, I think it's where everybody wants to be. That's the feedback I've received. So yeah. as long as we're closer to the mark, I'll, I'll modify the syllabus for us to keep going in this direction, unless anybody's throwing up any major cautions right now. Okay. All right, I'll send that out to you guys. Somebody uh, want to close us in prayer? Candice, you want to close us in prayer, please? Don't try to